it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Is your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone. And Genesee Health Plan can help. I called and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to geneseehealthplan.org. We're in this together and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner.
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and as uh, most regular listeners know, it's October, and that means uh, suffering through Schlocktober, a tradition we started many years ago. Um, and I and I've been promising in Facebook posts that uh, that 2020 would feature mostly new recordings or recordings that haven't been played in Schlocktober's past. Um, However, I thought since this is the first full week of opening and closing this show with Schlocktober, I'd uh, do a little throwback to really kind of the person who started it all, which is uh, Joe Stafford. Um, she and her husband uh, took on the personas of Jonathan and Darlene Edwards and made a bunch of intentionally horrible recordings. And... Uh, an ex-wife of mine turned me on to them and we used to we had an album and we would uh, when we were entertaining we would wait till everybody would had a few cocktails and a few hors d'oeuvres and and we're getting along in conversation and we would slip that album in and and wait to see how long it would be before somebody said who is that what is that music it's horrible well that was kind of the impetus for uh, schlocktober while everybody else is celebrating rocktober and oktoberfest and and all of the different uh, iterations of october um, and Halloween, I thought, what better than to uh, pick up on some of what William Shatner's done. He played a big role in my deciding to do this. And um, and we would do Schlocktober, a different odd or horrible recording each and every day during the month of uh, October. So we're, uh, that's, that's where it all began, if anybody's wondering. We started with a new offering last week. Uh, on the 1st of October, last Thursday, with uh, William Shatner doing I Will Survive. Uh, but we have a lot of new ones and coming up. I don't know if it'll happen this week, um, but, but coming up soon, we have Granny Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies, the original uh, television series, uh, Irene Ryan, um, singing a blues rendition of... Uh, I'm a woman, W-O-M-A-N, and uh, it's it's a little different. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to turn uh, to a more serious note now and uh, get into our guests. Coming up, uh, we have, um, this is going to be kind of interesting, Sandra Goldmark will be joining us to talk about her book, Fixation, How to Save Stuff, or How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet. And then in the third half of our three-hour tour, the uh, journalists and authors behind the book, The Entrepreneur's Faces, How Makers, Visionaries, and Outsiders Succeed, uh, from uh, Jonathan Littman and Susanna Camp. They'll be joining me during the third half. But coming up next... Uh, this hour, my guest is, and let me make sure I say this right, Amra Sabish L. Reyes, who has written a book uh, with an unlikely title, The Cat I Never Named, but it's uh, a young adult memoir of a Muslim teen struggling to survive in the midst of the Bosnian genocide and the stray cat who protected, protected her family 
through it all. Uh, very interesting conversation coming up with uh, Amra after we uh, we take a uh, a short break. Also, we have a Halloween special coming up on Friday the 30th, the day before Halloween. Um, our musical guests will be the Lords of October, appropriately. But that will be the day we uh, do our annual playing of uh, Orson Welles' original War of the Worlds. And uh, always fun, and I, I do have uh, some listeners that look forward to that every year. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of a new book called The Cat I Never Named, which is a uh, young adult memoir of a Muslim teen struggling to survive in the midst of the Bosnian genocide. Um, her name is Amra Sabish El Reyes, and she joins me uh, now by phone. Amra, welcome to the show, and I hope I didn't mangle your name too badly. Thank you for having me, and I would say you get an A-plus in pronunciation of my name. That's pretty close to perfect. <laughs> well, thank you for that, but I, I'm terrible with names, so I, I always end up uh, apologizing. Um, but uh, but but let's let's get into this. Um, this is pretty heavy stuff. Why? First of all, what would make you want to share? that kind of an experience actually i've got three parts to this question what would make you write a memoir about something that was such an intense experience and two um why direct it to a young audience and three um what's with the cat i never named <laughs> yes, I, um, that gives us enough material to talk for a few hours. Um, but I'm going. <laughs> but I'm going to start by saying that um, uh, first of all, I was 16 when the war started in Bosnia, and then spent uh, almost four years living through genocide. Um, simply because I was a Bosnian Muslim, um, I lived under constant bombing, besieged by the Serb military. Um, what is what is that, um, Amra? What does that mean, Bosnian Muslim? Uh, Bosnian Muslims are an ethnic group um, uh, called Bosniaks that have um, existed for centuries um, in the Balkans. And um, though we were, in terms of numbers, the majority in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which was part of uh, Yugoslavia um, as one country at some point, uh, we were discriminated as a group. And so um, the parallel to the U.S. environment would be the experience of segregation and exclusion of uh, uh, black individuals um, through institutional institutionalized racism. So Bosnian Muslims uh, for instance, uh, were not allowed to call themselves Bosniaks. I, as a Bosnian um, uh, child, um, a student uh, prior to the war in the educational system, um, I was discriminated against. And I um, recount some of those experiences. And that happened even though I was one of the top students in math and physics and later won some national competitions in, in the entire Bosnia. 
Um, but I grew up never once reading a story uh, about a Bosnian Muslim girl, um, and I never solved the math problem uh, with a Muslim girl or a boy or a child um, in it. And that really reflects the sort of the treatment that Bosnian Muslims had in former Yugoslavia that then eventually led into genocide. And you mentioned um, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Is there any difference there? In terms of... Geographically. Um, it is just simply two two regions that are part of one country. So uh, Bosnia is is one area regionally, and Herzegovina is another region. Uh, but together, um, they are one country. So there's no really um, difference per se in terms of uh, uh, certainly was not before the war in terms of demographics or um, uh, um, any other element um, to composition of the population. Um, but it was one country as a whole uh, prior to the war. And certainly uh, that story got complicated during the war because of ethnic cleansing and genocide, and uh, the country remains divided in a different way um, today as a consequence of that. And, and when you talk about Bosnian genocide, what exactly does that look like? Um, so... When I was um, 16, when the war started in Bosnia, um, the military that used to uh, be our own um, national military representative of uh, former Yugoslavia, um, as the country started to fall apart, uh, the military became very evident and clear was dominated by Serbs. And Serbs were the politically, in terms of military, in terms of um, uh, uh, sort of social uh, influence um, in the country, they were the dominant ethnic group. And Muslims were um, uh, historically um, in former Yugoslavia discriminated against. And um, when the war began, um, the military really became Serb military. And um, started to round up Muslims, um, execute us, put us into concentration camps. Um, uh, girls like me were targets for rape camps. Just to give you a vivid example, um, that in the cities that were ca uh, controlled by the Serb military, where the executions occurred, uh, in many cases Muslims were forced to wear white armbands so that they could be easily separated um, and sent off for torture, killing, or rape camps. So um, genocide um, was um, conducted in the most brutal way with the intent of uh, completely eradicating people like me simply because I was a Muslim. More with Amra Sabish El Reyes, the author of The Cat I Never Named. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you America, by the Council. your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Amra Sabish El Reyes, the author of The Cat I Never Named, straight ahead. And then you emigrated to the U.S. in 1996. And and how old were you then? Um, so in 1996, I was uh, 20 years old, um, and I will share a moment um, uh, when I entered um, the United States uh, with you because it really gets to the first question that you asked, what was uh, one of the reasons that I decided to share this story and, and, and share it now. Um, I uh, was 16 when the war started. I was 20 when it ended, and by that time I was really a broken person. I was a young woman whose dreams were stolen, whose um, uh, worst nightmares become became reality. Prior to the war, I was a volleyball player. I um, uh, loved math and physics. I loved writing. I had lots of friends. I was about to fall in love with the boy. And then came starving and persecution and, and loss of life. Um, and um, standing in the immigration line uh, was extremely emotional. I felt that I was going to be rejected by America, that America could not possibly want someone like me. Um, and um, I had my uh, broken English at that time. I studied and learned English on my own during the war. I had few dollars in my pocket and um, a lot of fear. I was afraid of the immigration officers because men in uniforms, to me at the time, meant rape and killing. And so when it was my turn to be interviewed by the immigration officer, he was examining my paperwork and passport for a long time. I was shaking and sweating and uh, nearly passed out. And then he reached out with his hand, handed me the passport, and he said, Welcome to the United States of America, ma'am. I am sorry for what happened to you. You are safe now. How did how did your experience emigrating to the U.S. Um, how, how does it affect you now when you see all of the the politics and the acrimony surrounding immigration in in recent years? That's an excellent question, and really relates to um, uh, the rationale why I wrote this book for young adults and. Um, relates to my own experience as an American, as a first-generation immigrant, as a genocide survivor, but also as a parent. A couple of years ago, um, my younger daughter, Dina, was in third grade at the time. She came back home from school, and she um, uh, asked me, um, Mom, what will happen to me and Jana, her older sister, if you and dad are rounded up and taken away as Muslims or immigrants. And it was really that question that jolted me, that made me feel that I was, in a way, abdicating my own responsibility as a genocide survivor to speak out um, and counter hate and to use my story as an educational platform to warn America where we could end up if we opt for hate. Um, So it was that moment of realizing that my child, born and raised and educated in New York City, uh, would be afraid of what may happen to her one day simply for who she is. And I know that there are teens and adults out there that feel uncertain about future 
um, and what um, uh, what America may may become in the coming years. And my hope is that the stories um, that I share in this book inspire the kind of America that I met when I entered the United States for the first time, the kind of America that welcomed me and gave me an opportunity to not only overcome genocide, but become who I always wanted to become, but couldn't because of the violence and the hatred I experienced. Spoken like a true educator, Amra, and I didn't mention when I introduced you that you are a uh, professor at Columbia, You, um, where you had gotten two master's degrees and a doctorate after uh, earning a B.A. in economics from Brown University. Um, that could not have been easy to afford, to to manage. Um, how, how did you do it? Um, I always believed in education, and um, I think that theme um, comes through very strongly um, in The Cat They Never Named. And um, I didn't know that during the war when I... Uh, decided that I would better myself, that I couldn't control the external forces in the same way that we can't control social unrest or the pandemic um, as individuals. Um, I was aware that I couldn't end genocide. I couldn't stop people from hating me in the way that they did. But I could always do something about who I was internally and um, control what was in uh, uh, my control as an individual. And that was really to improve who I was and become the best version of myself, not for someone else to accept me, to to love me, to stop hating me or stop killing me, but to be the best human being that I can be and for that to be a way in which I counter hatred. And that is when I um, decided to um, educate myself. I couldn't go to school in the same way that many teens and children um, have a problem uh, with um, access to school now because of the pandemic. And um, I taught myself English. I um, decided to uh, master many mathematics in, in physics textbooks that then led to me winning math and physics competitions at the national level and eventually led to uh, me earning a scholarship to come to the United States. Um, so education has always been my savior and my way to counter hatred. And I would just uh, share one detail that happened during the war um, that reiterates the importance of education um, that I think it, education has in countering hatred. And that was a moment when uh, my father thought that we would be executed and killed in the midst of the war. We were watching the Serb military come down the hill across uh, my neighborhood, and burning. Uh, they were burning houses and everything down. Um, and my father turned to me and he said something that I think no father of a 16-year-old girl ever wants to uh, share with their daughter. He said... Amra, I'm no longer able to protect you, and we may all be killed, and you may be raped. But if you survive, there's one thing that no one can ever take away from you, and that is your education. And through all of that, there's a stray cat who protected your family. 
and and it's the the book is named for this cat that apparently never got a name. It seems like the cat deserves a name, Amra. <laughs> that um, is absolutely uh, correct, um, and I agree with you. But the the reason for the title was um, to really um, uh, illustrate the intensity of the experience um, that genocide introduced into our lives and this mere survival and struggle to survive, that through it all we actually never gave Kitty a proper name. Mati means Kitty in Bosnian, so we simply called her Kitty. And just to uh, share one detail with you, I met Mati um, in a very uh, uh, difficult moment when the war is about to start um, in Bosnia when uh, Muslim refugees were coming into my city. And um, I don't know for sure, but I think that uh, Mati lost her family in that Mm. process. And she attached herself to um, our family. And to be honest, we didn't want to have a pet at that time. We didn't think we could feed another living being. Um, I was scared of anything with claws. I was attacked by a German shepherd when I was little. My mom um, didn't want another responsibility as the war is about to start. But Mati didn't care. She adopted herself. She found her way into her heart. And <laughs> on the very first... <laughs> as cats very, do, Amra. Yeah, they They do. And um, But what was incredible about her and the message that I think this book delivers is that sometimes in the most unexpected ways we encountered other living beings who end up being our saviors. And that is what Mati was for me. Um, there would be no the cat I never named if Mati didn't save um my brother Dino, younger brother, and me on the very first day of bombing of my city in June of 1992 when four of our friends were blown up, but we lived because of Mati. And that scene is sort of reflective of many moments throughout the war where Mati makes a difference in my survival. Um, so I do wish to honor her with this story, but also send the message that sometimes um, we are not inclined to accept people uh, or living beings, but then learn once we get to know them that they could be our saviors. How difficult was it to relive the things that happened there those years ago in writing this book, or was it therapeutic in some way? It actually was. Um, I have to admit that the reason why I didn't write this story earlier, and um, my students often at Columbia, when I would mention a particular story to make a point in any of my classes, the courses that I teach on social transformations or even research methods, um, and I would share a moving example, they would say, Professor Amra, you should write your story as a book. And um, I was not inclined to do that because I feared what would happen um, by going back into those traumatic events and really whirlpool of emotions. Um, I didn't know if I could uh, sort of build myself back up and uh, pick up the pieces left after the writing process. And then I started to write. Um, and then I realized that bringing a Bosnian Muslim story to life 
actually empowered me, it healed me, it liberated me in many ways. As a Bosnian um, Muslim, um, this is not just a book for me, it's not just a memoir, it is a voice I never had growing up as a Muslim girl. Um, I saw myself represented in the story in the way I was never represented in my old society. So the story helped me remember that and um, reminded me why I am who I am today, but also, and perhaps most importantly, reminded me that I will never be again a voiceless, silent, invisible Muslim girl. You have argued that that hate is... um the most powerful emotion, even more powerful than love. Um, there are a lot of people who think that love trumps hate, but if if hate is the more powerful emotion, with so much of it seeming to be part of our day-to-day lives in the U.S. today, um, how, how do we overcome that? Um, I would say love is incredibly important, and, and it has played a key role um, in my life in overcoming um, a hatred. And, and um, I talk about different kinds of love that I experienced um, during the war. Um, but hatred is a very selfish and very powerful emotion that can make humans commit the kinds of crimes that we think are unimaginable. And that's the kind of emotion that I hope to warn against. Um, And one way in which I think we can counter hatred is through diversifying the storytelling that happens in this country. We often censor what young adults uh, can or cannot read. And as my children say to me often, Adults um, in school and beyond tiptoe around the real issues, but we are still exposed to them. So this story um, that I tell is a genuine uh, emotional um, account of my experience as a teen that I couldn't escape. No one asked me whether um, I wanted to live through genocide or not. And many teens today in America are not asked to whether they want to experience trauma or the violence or the loss as a consequence of discrimination or racism or any form of exclusion. Um, So I think we need to tell more of those kinds of stories. And I learned that storytelling is incredibly powerful. Uh, The first time when I was in the midst of the war, Um, I was asked to become a teacher in the classroom. Um, I was only a teen, but because uh, many of our teachers were killed or injured, um, I became a teacher in an elementary and um, high school. And it was then that I realized that sharing stories that enable um, students and young people to connect to emotionally creates collective empathy. And when we create collective empathy, through um, storytelling, um, I think we can become a more socially cohesive nation, something that many people out there today find hard to imagine. But I do believe in that kind of um, America as, um, as a possibility in our future. How do you talk to people about the Islamophobia that has become so rampant in the United States over the last 20 years. Um, 
how do you how do you talk to your children about that? Um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, sometimes being exposed to these difficult um, experiences is not really a matter of choice. And uh, my entire life has been dedicated as a Bosnian Muslim and genocide survivor to educating people on these issues. A few years back, I'm going to share something with you I haven't shared in, in um, other interviews, um, but I was threatened by a, an alumni, um, a graduate of Columbia University, um, and told that I really shouldn't be a teacher as a, um, as a Muslim. And uh, this is someone who has never met me, who knew nothing about me aside from uh, the fact that I was a Muslim faculty member. And um, it was an unfortunate moment, but at the same time, for me, moments like this are teaching and learning opportunities. So um, aside of, uh, from obviously making sure um, that uh, Columbia is aware of what had happened and, and making sure that my students were safe, um, and uh, that this threat was only directed at me, I went into my classroom that I uh, and course that I teach on Islam and education and, in fact, radicalization to uh, use that uh, uh, expression of hate towards me um, to uh, dissect where that Islamophobia comes from. And I think we all have responsibility, shared responsibility to educate ourselves and educate um, others when those kinds of opportunities pre present themselves because uh, biases and stereotypes of any kind um, eventually can uh, lead to unwanted uh, violent outcomes that none of us want to experience in our lives. Were you somewhat surprised um, after getting settled into the U.S. Um, at, at how pervasive the the racial divide between blacks and whites has been and continues to be? Um, yes, um, and I think this is where education plays a crucial role, um, and that's one of the reasons why um, I opted for career um, in education, because I think it's important to interact with young people and um, counter those kinds of forms of racism that are so institutionalized and really built into the structures of, of this country. Um, but I am also an optimist. I'm extremely hopeful. And um, I think that vast majority of people out there are good uh, people who want the best things for their families, but also for their neighbors. And uh, my hope is that the cat I never named um, evokes that kind of empathy and even if someone didn't experience discrimination themselves, that by reading my story, they forget about me as a Bosnian Muslim, but that they recognize the parallels that my story um, has and carries with um, the incidences of racism and hatred in this country. And that as a result, uh, those who read the story will be moved to make a difference. Um, just to share one um, uh, one email that I had received just yesterday, um, I have gotten an incredible feedback from anyone who has read the story um, so far. Um, often um, people will say, oh, I didn't know much about 
uh, Bosnia, but someone recommended the book where I saw I really liked the title or the cover. I picked it up. I thought I would read a few pages today, and here I am. It's 3 in the morning. I finished the book, and I had to write to you to tell you how it affected me. But yesterday I got an email from an American soldier who was deployed in Bosnia, who was deployed around the world, um, and who opened up and said that he never cried as much as he did in reading my story and that he only wished um, he uh, read um, The Cat I Never Named before he was deployed abroad. Um, So my hope is that we can resort to education through storytelling um, to uh, help this country recover and heal from racism that it carries in its history. Well, Amra, unfortunately we're out of time, but I want to say thank you for uh, sharing your story with me and my listeners, but also in in the book The Cat I Never Named, and I have to ask you one last question. Do you and your kids have a cat? We don't. (laughs) Um, We don't. Uh, We have, and and they're really... um, uh, two reasons for it. One is very personal. I have one child that has severe allergies, and we were um, in the process of um, doing, uh, we were waiting for her to be able to get shots, uh, immunization, uh, 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 sorry, allergy shots on a regular basis uh, for her to be old enough and to be willing to do that so that we could have a cat, and then pandemic hit, and Uh. so we are where we are. Um, but we do have a couple of uh, couple of fish right now, and we're enjoying them very much. <laughs> well, Amra, thank you so much. I've been really enjoying our conversation, as uh, as serious as it is. Um, and and uh, best of luck with the book. Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you, Tom, very much for your kind words and for having me as a guest. All right, take care. That was uh, Amra Sabish El Reyes who is the author of a book called The Cat I Never Named, a true story of love, war, and survival, described as a coming-of-age memoir in the midst of genocide. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives, but we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19, where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a man. 
magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program ladies and gentlemen in philip rapp's creation the Bickersons. What's what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potatoes? salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Hand me my Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? 
Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. I get there All I can 
Gretchen Whitmer. Might surprise you to be hearing from me, some smoke show Midwestern governor nobody heard about till a couple weeks ago. But governors are kind of having a moment right now. And while other govs get cool nicknames like Daddy Cuomo and Gavin Choke Me King Newsome, Trump refers to me as that woman from Michigan. But I'm not offended because I am proud to be from Michigan. And that woman is also what Trump calls his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I'm nursing all the bats. Because even though most frickin' governors are laying down restrictions because of the virus, mine are somehow too far. Now, you may have heard about the protesters that gathered in the streets of our capital for Ted Nugent cosplay last week. Look, people, it's live free or die, not live free and die. And Trump advisor Stephen Moore is comparing these protesters to Rosa Parks. Yeah, if Rosa Parks was fighting for her right to get hit by a bus. Sorry, that's a little bats talking. But I support all Americans and Michiganders' freedom of speech. So if you got to protest, here are some tips on how to do it safely. Number one, stay home. I promise you can call me a bitch from the safety of your couch. It's called Twitter. So if you must head outside, maintain proper social distancing. That means six feet apart at all times. So if the tip of your AK-47 can touch the tip of your buddy's AK, back up. And please, wear face masks, but not a joker mask. And not a clown mask and absolutely no masks that come with the hood. Now, like you, I have heard the rumors that I'm on the short list to be Joe Biden's vice president, the VP's Veep, because if it's going to be a woman, it might as well be that woman. But my sole priority is my home state, because we're not out of the woods. We never will be. We live in Michigan. And to anyone that stands in the way of the health and safety of my constituents, I'll remind you, the Michigan is a mitten, right? And this, this is where I live. 
Oh, dang it. They're throwing dog crap at my door. Knock it off. I'll throw it back. I did it last time, too. You know I will. You pilots, get off my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 